Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend. Happy day to you, and thank you for joining me for this oh-so-important podcast that is about the foundation that helps us do everything that we do and the foundation that we sometimes neglect and sometimes feel guilty about neglecting and sometimes just pretend that we don't know that we're neglecting it, and that is your body. The title of this podcast, Your Body is Your Job, comes from, well, it's come from something I've said to myself for years. But it also comes from a quote from Twyla Tharp's new book, Keep It Moving, which is all about aging and how to thrive through aging and how to keep the body as strong as it can be so that you can live a brilliant life for as long as you are alive instead of diminishing in ways that we have been told to expect to diminish. Of course, we're all going to get older. We are all going to get less strong. Um, The body is going to have wear and tear, but we can do things about it that we didn't know we could do in the past. I mean, in the past, 40 was old age. And doctors would literally say, well, now that you're 40, we got to take you off your exercise regime regimen because, you know, you might hurt something. Well, yeah, you're going to hurt something if you stop moving. That is when joints cease to work. That is when muscles atrophy. So I also want to talk about athleticism and borrowing tools from athletes such as Twyla Tharp, who is still dancing. At the time she wrote this book, she was 78 years old. She is the most world-renowned, world-class choreographer and is still constantly working every day. And the way she does it is by treating her body as an athlete would even though her work is very creative. And so I don't care whether your work is in dance or in accounting. You have to treat your body like an athlete would. And I'm going to use some information from a book from 1999 called The Corporate Athlete, How to Achieve Maximal Performance in Business and Life by Grapple and Andelman. I'll put this in the notes. And they took the work of Jim Lair and looked at what we know about how athletes Uh, optimize the physical strength they have, the physical capacity they have for optimal performance. And guess what? We can learn a lot. And more recently, Tony Schwartz came out with the book, The Way We're Working Isn't Working. He created the um, company, The Energy Project. And companies are starting to come around, but you cannot wait for your company to come around in order to take care of yourself. Case in point, I recently kicked off a new group coaching cohort These are six corporate leaders, mid-level leaders, and at the end of our program, or at the end of our daily, day-long kickoff, they decided what they were going to work on. They had done my brilliant life assessment, and some of them were a little squeamish and surprised about where they were out of alignment. It wasn't that they were surprised so much as it was kind of a sigh of exasperation and resignation, like, oh yeah. I finally need to work on this. So for one of my amazing leaders, 
she decided that she needed to make exercise a must-do instead of a should-do. She's a very challenging job. She has a huge team, a lot of new people, 12 direct reports, which is really not a great idea. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I hope it's temporary, but that's what she's having to live with, and she has to do a lot of travel on top of all that. She's amazing, but guess what? She's human, and she has a human body, and she's not exercising it. Now, she looks fine from the outside. She's trim. She smiles, but inside, she is feeling depleted. So I was very excited that she was going to choose this. She upgraded her thought in the workshop with the help of participants, and her new belief was, instead of, I don't have time to do this, was, I can make time. It was as simple as that. That worked for her. So she is on board, figuring this out, and then I get an email from her. And it says, I realized that what I really have to prioritize is coaching my people. Because if I don't coach my people, I will be so stressed out if I don't bring them up to speed. Like, honey, you're going to be stressed out if you don't exercise. (laughs) And then I come to find out she's also sleeping five hours a night. So she got it. She understood that in order to have the capacity to coach 12 people, she was going And that's in addition to just doing her job, which is already a big, hard job. She was going to have to make shifts, not only to exercise, but to sleep. Because if you have ever even had to coach one underperforming employee, you know how draining it is. You are going to need a lot of energy. So we assume these mindsets that the body's unlimited and we can just make sacrifices and push it to the limits. And we treat the body sometimes, as one person told me, as a bag to carry around the brain. Well, people, that is not how it works. We need to have not just a neck up approach, but a whole body approach when it comes to being effective and to living a brilliantly satisfied life. Our bodies are not brain bags. They generate energy and need energy. They are energy sources for us. And if we don't renew them and take care of them, we won't have the energy we need to do anything. I mean, sure, you can get stuff done when you're sick, when you're injured, but you can't get it done in a high-performing way. So some people may have an experience of being an athlete. Maybe you play sports outside of work. But your exercise in that way is separate from work. It's a hobby. So I want to look at what do athletes do that we can actually incorporate into our jobs, whether we're athletes or not. So let's just compare for a second. Who has the harder job, athletes or business professionals? And the researchers who wrote the book, The Corporate Athlete, they looked at executives. But I'm talking about anybody. I don't care. If you have a desk, this applies to you. So first, let's look at athletes. They spend most of their time every day practicing. Not performing, but practicing. Not truly competing. But the typical employee does not have the luxury of practicing. We get very little training And yet, instead of where athletes only perform a couple hours a day, we have to perform 8, 10, 12, maybe even more hours a day. Athletes get several months off for the off-season, 
but corporate executives and corporate employees are lucky to get three or four weeks off a year. And the career average of a professional athlete is seven years. <laughs> Let's just say the corporate employee has a much longer work span, maybe 50 years. So some companies get that we need to fuel and take care of our bodies, and they have things like gym memberships and nap rooms and healthy snacks. But a lot of them don't make systemic changes like shorter workdays, anti-email policies, unlimited vacation, and then have top executives role model it. Because I don't care if you have great policies. If executives are sending emails at 2 in the morning or even 9 p.m., everybody else is going to think they have to do that. So it rolls down. It cascades, it cascades down. So you've got to have the policy and the practice. And if your company doesn't do that, you've got to figure it out anyways. Athletes don't say, well, I don't, we don't have a policy of me exercising this many hours a day. They just do it. They take ownership of it. Athletes know it is up to them to manage their energy. So imagine you're a sprinter. And whether you've ever run in your life, you can probably imagine what it would take to sprint very short burst of physical energy. Now, how many times do you think a professional sprinter could sprint before their time starts getting worse? It is not about the sprinting. It is about training to prepare for the sprint. So what do we do day in and day out to prepare for the sprints we have, the many, many sprints, back-to-back -back meetings we have in the corporate world? The authors of the book Corporate Athlete created this very handy model that is a pyramid. And I love it because at the bottom of the pyramid, it's a four-level pyramid, and at the bottom is the body. Because if you are not taking care of the body, there is no stable foundation for the rest. And at the second level is the emotions. And if you've listened to all of my podcasts that include the STEER model, you know that our capacity, our physical capacity, and our stress level affects our emotions. And our emotions affect our thoughts and vice versa. I would have probably put these two levels differently, uh, but... You could also think of the second level as stress, and our level of stress uh, can affect the third level, which is our thoughts. Our thoughts are fully within the span of control of our mind, but we often don't take control of the mind, and we just operate from this place of physical exhaustion, emotional stress, and that fuels our thinking, which then diminishes the fourth level of the pyramid, which is spirit. Spirit can mean anything you want, but I think of it as meaning a sense of deep values and purpose and something greater than just our job title. And I love this pyramid model. I love this whole person approach. But in this podcast, we're going to focus mainly on the base, the foundation, which is the body. And we're going to take what we can learn, adopt, and adapt from athletes and other high performers. So the first thing I want to talk about is rest. The body needs rest and renewal. That sprinter cannot sprint all day. It doesn't make sense, and it's going to create undue wear and tear and diminishing returns. If you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, he talks about some research that showed the top performers, whether it was in 
music or programming or sports, they spent 10,000 hours working on their craft. But guess what? If you've read the book, you already know this. They didn't do it working eight hours a day on their craft. They did it in spurts. They did it in 90-minute intervals. And then most of them would go and take a nap. They would go and rest. And this is such an important renewal aspect because their brain is now integrating all that they've practiced and all that they've learned. Corporate employees do not, <laughs> do not bring in a lot of rest and renewal into their day. And instead of doing 90-minute sprints, we're sprinting all day. And whether it's 45 minutes or 90 minutes, the important thing is to do a block of some kind of work, some kind of focus. Athletes get great sleep. Most athletes get about an average of nine hours of sleep a night. Corporate athletes, I don't think so. They get little sleep and they are always on with few rest periods during the day. Those nap rooms, well, they're few and far between and not used very often. But afternoon time is an excellent time for a 25-minute nap or 30-minute nap and no longer than that because beyond that you get diminishing returns. We know that the bodies need at least six hours of sleep. There is only about 1% of the population who can do well better than that, and they have a genetic mutation. So congratulations. If you can thrive on four hours of sleep, I've known one person in my life who could do that. The rest of us need at least six, and you got to figure that out for yourself, what that looks like. So rest is one of the first things we can learn from athletes, rituals. Because it's easy to say, well, just rest. But we need rituals, little mini practices to help us rest, reset, and build momentum, to help us focus. So getting one massage a week or one exercise session at the end of the day, hey, that's great. Keep doing that, but that is not enough to sustain you during the day. We need daily rituals that are short and help us reset. So an example of an athlete who does this, they looked at world-class tennis players. And if you think of a tennis match, there's not a lot of off time, but the best ones took the 15 to 20 seconds between points for a ritual. And sometimes the ritual involved bouncing a ball with a racket, playing with the strings, but it was never just looking out into the crowd, staring into the eyes of your opponent. It was a chance to refocus, get present, and get the body ready for the next thing. Uh, golfers might visualize the swing before they go on, might visualize the ball going into, but they do it every time. Uh, divers, while they're up there, they're visualizing and then they're taking whatever breaths. And we know basketball players before they shoot a three-pointer. They all have different rituals for how many times they bounce the ball, for how many times they spin the ball in their hand. These are rituals that help them reset and get ready for what comes next. Rituals help us do the work when we don't, have, when we don't want to or we don't have to. You know, nobody's uh, shooting off the gun saying the, the race is starting. And do the work is the book... Um, title of the famous book by Stephen Pressfield. So if you haven't read that, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so short and it's so motivational. And it's not really about motivation. It is about rituals. In Twyla Tharp's book before this one, 
called The Creative Habit. Oh my gosh, it's such a good book. She talks about a ritual she has every day. Her clothes are set out the night before. She puts on her workout shoes, her workout clothes. She goes down to the front of her building, hails a cab, and once she's in the cab, she tells the cabbie where to take her, to the gym. She says that her ritual is not the workout. It's not even the putting on of the clothes, although I would argue that that is a ritual. For her, the most important ritual is to tell the cab to go to the gym. Now it's out of her hands, and she is on her way, whether she likes it or not. And starting is the key, even if you don't want to. It is really hard to get started. Remember the rule from physics that bodies in motion stay in motion? And the opposite is true, too. If we don't start, it is really hard to begin. Liftoff is the hardest. But once we lift off, we cruise. That run you didn't want to take, once you started running, you were so glad you were on that run or whatever exercise you chose. So here are some sample rituals that I think are simple and repeatable. So let's say you want to go to bed earlier. Now this is going to have multiple dependencies, like putting the kids to bed earlier, turning off your work earlier. So the ritual may be that a timer goes off, that cues everyone in the house to put their electronics off, and start the bedtime routine. So that could be your ritual for going to sleep earlier, instead of allowing yourself to just watch one more show on Netflix, or pour a second glass of wine if you want to have less stress. Your ritual could be that upon waking up in the morning, instead of turning over and looking at your email, you give thanks for being alive. And you take a few deep breaths and stretch. In bed, just stretch and then sit up and take five deep breaths. Maybe for one minute, you name all the things you're grateful for. You could even write these down, that would be awesome. And then, Write down the most important thing to do today and block time to do it. That entire ritual would take 10 minutes at most. Note, checking email was not part of the ritual. Checking email is sure to raise your stress because it is unpredictable and now you have turned over your day to everyone else in your inbox and you are very unlikely to practice gratitude and get done the one thing that you need to get done in order to feel satisfied about your day. If you want to build a stronger presence, perhaps your ritual is before meetings, you take a deep breath and you ask yourself, how do I want to be? What could be going on for that person? So now you're shifting your focus internally to your purpose, and how you want to come off, and then externally, so you can get curious about the other person. Because we're constantly making assumptions about other people without even noticing that we're making assumptions. We just act on them. So if you go in with a curious mindset and wondering what might they need and how can I be in service, you're going to show up very differently from the person who didn't have that ritual and just sat down in the meeting, huffing and puffing from the last meeting with the brain churning about the last meeting they were in. Let's say your goal is to be more productive and focused. Your little ritual could be that in between tasks, you stop. You take a pause and you ask yourself, what is the best use of my time? 
in Twyla Tharp's book, in every chapter, she has a physical ritual that you can try to implement the lessons from the chapter. And one, I'm actually going to do it right now. It's a prayer pose. So you can't really do this in a meeting because people think you're all of a sudden becoming, becoming a yogi. But it involves putting your hands together in prayer position in front of you, in front of your heart, and then elongating your back, stretching your neck. Your head just naturally tilts tiny bit down. Your chin's tilting a tiny bit down as you lengthen along your back. And then you press firmly your hands against each other. And you will get a nice upper back stretch, rotator cuff stretch, and neck stretch. And then you can inhale and exhale. That takes 30 seconds. And you can do that between any task. You can stand up, stretch. You can even do a quad stretch while you're on a work call that's not on video. Or who cares, even if it is on video. Maybe other people will start stretching too. The other thing I want to leave you with that athletes do is they respect the rhythms of energy and the rhythms of the day. They know that the brain needs fuel and the body needs movement. Our bodies are energy machines, and in order to produce energy and give us energy, they have to consume energy. And we have to respect the brain's limitations. The brain cannot focus for longer than 90 minutes. And it cannot hold more than seven things at once. This is why you need to have a notebook with you and a pen so that you aren't stressed out trying to remember things that are impossible to hold in your brain. For all of us, whether you are a night owl or an early bird or somewhere in between, mid-afternoon is a lull. So do not assume that you can do strong, strategic, critical thinking between the hours of 2 and 4. There is a reason that is a siesta time in many cultures. So Dan Pink in his book, and his research, calls it the trench. And the trench is the best time to take a nap, take a walk, or have some kind of conversation where you need to be creative because your mind has a very little, um, it doesn't have much willpower or structure to it at this point because the guardians have gone to bed. They are tired from you know, being active during the morning, so now your brain is more able to think freely and creatively. So if you have something important to do in the day that takes critical thinking, you must do it in the morning, or if you are a night owl, you can do it late at night, as long as you are protecting your time for sleep. Night owls have it very hard. Unless you have an entire corporation that is composed of night owls and run by night owls, um, you have to conform, and you have to get your biorhythms to work, and you have to find a time that works for you to do critical thinking work that also doesn't help you, doesn't make you sacrifice sleep. So as far as fuel sources go, we can do what athletes do. We can feed our brains every 90 minutes, and we need to do it intelligently, not just by grabbing the cookie from the cafeteria. We need things like slow-burning foods like nuts, cheese, and if it's sugar, have it in the form of dark chocolate. Um, I love to drink chaga mushroom coffee uh, because it... Uh, 
naturally helps your brain think better. Athletes take creatine and other supplements. So you got to figure out what works for you. But sometimes it may mean having a little mini fridge in your cubicle if it fits or in your office and keeping a drawer full of healthy snacks and munching on them whenever you need the fuel every 90 minutes. I am constantly eating throughout the day. I have a blender full of green smoothie. Um, I have these little uh, balls of cheese that I unwrap and grab, and I am able to get through the day so much better. I don't get hangry, and I can think. And I don't gain weight because I'm respecting the body's natural need for fuel, so the body's using it. It's not storing it. The bottom line is our bodies were not built for the expectations that we put on ourselves. Not just the expectation corporate America puts on ourselves, but that we put on ourselves. Energy is not an infinite resource. We have to replenish. And you cannot be your best if your body is not properly fueled and healthy. Does it mean you can't be effective? No. A lot of people are effective and they still eat junk and they don't care about themselves. And it's just not the best way to do it. You deserve better. You know, back in the 1950s when dishwashers started coming out and appliances, it was predicted that these modern conveniences would mean shorter work weeks and more leisure. But as we all know, the opposite happened. In fact, in 1950s, housewives actually did more hours of housework once they got the appliances. And we all know what happened to the workplace thanks to internet and email and our always-on culture. We have had, ugh, sadly, the opposite effect. Less leisure, more stress. We cannot wait for policies. And even if a company has the right policies, people have to manage their emotions and thoughts, the two other layers of the pyramid, and do what needs to be done in order for them to thrive. Athletes don't struggle with this decision. They don't care what other people are doing. They know what they have to do because of their purpose, that highest level of the pyramid, their goal. I have a new client who completed the Enneagram personality assessment, which has a self-reporting section on your level of strain in every area of your life, including physical strain. Hers was in the red, and I've never seen this until her report. It had 100% physical strain, and yet in our two conversations, she had not brought up anything about physical strain. So I said, are you ready to talk about this? I want to know what's going on. And she told me, well, she wasn't sleeping well. And it wasn't the typical I'm not sleeping well. She has nerve pain that is waking her up and is um, not responding to, you know, simple things that she's tried. And I wondered, was she ever going to mention this? This is not normal insomnia. This is something off, something that is going wrong in her body. And I wondered, how long were you going to let this go on? Because are you waiting for this to magically get better? And then I shared with her my story of nerve pain waking me up in the night. And I told her, you know, we never fully identified the cause, but I made some changes and it went away. I said, but if you can identify the cause, you need to. So instead of giving her an assignment that had anything to do with work, I gave her an assignment of making a doctor's appointment 
because she needs to start sleeping if she is going to live the life she needs to live. She is taking care of everybody at home in addition to this big job she has. And so many people, she is not abnormal. So many people are walking around with unspoken challenges, whether it's injuries or autoimmune diseases or mental illness, depression. People are walking around with this and afraid to talk about it, afraid that they might not be seen as good as others. But when we start talking about it, it gives others permission and it makes us safe to talk with. And it makes others feel safe taking care of themselves too. Pretending is contagious, but so is transparency and authenticity. When someone starts making smart choices at work and says, I can't make that meeting, I have a doctor's appointment, others feel better doing the same. So, you know, a lot of people function with insomnia. Um, they function even though they smoke, drink way too much, have diabetes. But this is about not just functioning. It is about performing to your full potential without a cost over time to themselves, their families, and of course to the corporations because eventually you are not going to be the employee that they want you to be. You're going to end up on sick leave or quitting your job to make a different lifestyle choice. So I want you to make shifts now and be a positive contagion because we need role models. Role models who put things in their signature line like, I don't respond to emails after 6.30 p.m. I respond to emails during this 90-minute period. If you need to reach me urgently, here's how you can reach me. Wouldn't that be delightful? Wouldn't it be delightful if people stopped the madness, stopped the churn, and didn't wait for a company policy? Wouldn't it be great if people stopped setting meetings that are always an hour long? And if people started instead having conversations, not meetings, but conversations with clear outcomes that were forced into a time period of something like 22 minutes. Let's see how far we can get. And what if people picked up the phone or stopped off at somebody's office instead of sending an email? Or instead of firing off an email, waited until they had their thoughts really cogent and clear and then sent a communication? So don't wait for somebody else to put policies in place because you deserve a brilliant life now and you can be a role model for other people to take care of themselves. And if you want more suggestions and tools for how to live your brilliant life, you know where you can find them. It's www.worklifebrilliance.com. There is a dash between work and life, work-lifebrilliance.com. Love to have you in my programs, and I'd love to hear your ideas and things you've tried and successes you've had, and you can email me at denise at brilliancinc.com. And I'll tell you a little secret about my inbox, <laughs> my email, the apps on my phone. Another person might freak out, but I don't clean out my inboxes. I don't worry about the little red bubbles in the corner of my apps that tell me I have a million notifications, I don't worry about it. Those are not something that I need to put my precious 
energy into. So I encourage you to take charge of the machine, take charge of your body, and put yourself in control instead of being at the mercy of the technology that is forcing us to live beyond our bounds with no payoff. All right, my friend, I am excited for you. I'm excited for your potential, and um, I hope you take just a couple of minutes after this podcast to do something that renews you and to make a commitment to insert daily ritual that you can repeat easily throughout your day and then to try it out. And if it works, share it with others because they need it. All right, take care and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.